light, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And be careful when you dream, you'll find that the majority of folks won't celebrate that with you. And that's because the majority of people are just content to be average. But God's not called any of us to live average lives. He's not an average God. He is exceeding abundantly above all kind of God. And when he gives a dream, let's continue. When he told his father, in verse 10, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Folks, because so many people are so content, again, to just live average lives, they don't respond too kindly to those who dare to dream a dream, something that is bigger than they are, a dream that unless God moves, it will not happen. It will not happen. You see, really, Joseph didn't dream. He didn't really have a dream. The dream had him. Let me just say that again. Joseph didn't really have a dream. The dream had Joseph. He didn't carry the dream. The dream carried him. He carry, it carried him from a pit to Potiphar's house to a prison and finally to a palace because the dream was birthed not in his heart but in God's heart. Folks, I've preached this over the years and I've said it here many times and it bears repeating right here. If you'll put God's kingdom first, He'll put your kingdom first. If you build His house first, He'll build your house. If you choose to live in a way that makes a difference for the kingdom of God, He will make a difference in your kingdom. Include the purpose of God in your dream and He'll include you in His dream. I was thinking back, reminiscing over almost 30 plus, well it was already over 30 years ago because six months before I spoke the, the dream of God for this church, um, I was in prayer and fasting. Now, my wife and I had already come to Florida. We were in a very secure position, associate pastor, worship leader, choir director. I used to have a choir. I'm talking official, where they were here, and I had to do this stuff. I don't know how I, by the grace of God, I didn't study that stuff. I faked my way through it. I don't know how. One, two, three, four. I had to keep everybody together. I mean, we even did some full-blown productions in that church, only by the grace of God. God put good people around me enough to make me look good. That's all I can say about that. But he started stirring me. You know, you get that unsettledness in your spirit. Something's not right. Something, And I'm like, wow, God, everything's going great. The church loves us here. The pastor loves us here. I, but, I, but I knew it enough to know it meant isolate, separate myself. Spend more time, quiet time with the Lord. Fast and, 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 and let God begin to reveal whatever the change was. And, and God began to reveal it. He said, don't get too settled here. You're about to make a move. And I'm like, oh. And I just kept praying. I, I didn't even tell my wife. I didn't say anything to her about this at that point. 
Because she had already said to me more times than not, I don't feel called to be a pastor's wife, senior pastor, lead pastor. So I knew that. So I kept praying, I kept praying, and God kept revealing. He said, you're going to pastor your own church. And I said, oh, God. Folks, I want you to understand I was 30. I was 30. This is also the year I turned 60. I'm celebrating that, too. I was 30 years old. I'm like, I'm going to pastor a church. And then I just began to plead with God. God, please. I've heard other pastors talk about it. Please don't send me to some messed up, divided, rebellious, religious you know, dead little church somewhere that I've got to try to turn it around and try to root out the, you know, the religion and just try to make the best of it. I'm like, God, in this church, I'm like, God, the church I'm in is beautiful, it's wonderful, just let us stay here. Please don't do that to me, Lord, please. And God said, I'm not. You're going to start from scratch. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I changed my mind. Just, I'll take whatever. I'll give me anything. Just don't, I don't want to start from scratch. He said, yeah, you're going to start from scratch. And understand, 30 years ago, there was not much out here. Not much out here. Okeechobee Boulevard was two lanes from Jog Road or so all the way out. There was no Crestwood. There was no Madison Green. There was no... Some of y'all are living over there right now. That was just swampy land over there. You know, the only thing that was along here was the red barn. That business was there. It's been there for over 30 years. But God said, you're going to go west, young man. Well, and I did because I was in almost downtown Lake Worth. It's where the church I was on staff was at. And so we began to pray and seek the Lord and began to pray. And after six months went by, I shared this vision with my wife in fear and trembling and she's like, no, I, that, I don't want to start a church. We're doing just fine here. And I was just like, okay, I'm just saying this is what God said. And I'll never forget her laying in the floor in our bedroom, weeping before the Lord as God birthed this vision in her heart. Not me. I know of too many pastors that have had to convince their wives of this and convince their wives of that. And it wasn't God's doing. And many of them lost their marriages and their ministries over the years. I thank God that he birthed the vision because it was his, not mine. It was his dream, not mine, in my wife's spirit. And then when we both knew, we went to our then pastor, submitted our resignation, stepped out in faith. Folks, I had a good salary for 30 years ago. Great health insurance, great benefits for 30 years ago. I walked away, I turned away, I stepped out in faith, literally in faith, to start this church. Our first meeting, there were 13 people in a living room. We started in a home in La Mancha. La Mancha was there. No, not La Mancha, it's called the other side, behind the high school. What's that neighborhood called? The Willows, yeah, the Willows. <clears throat> the house was over there. We had some glorious times in that living room. And then God blessed us in the living room. And we grew, we outgrew the living room of that house and moved into their garage. I'll never forget the shouting time I had. We moved from the living room to the garage. 
And somebody drove up one day and said, Pastor, I'm going to buy 30 chairs. We have a charter member. Her name is Susan. Susan was here last Sunday. I don't see her today. She said, I'm going to buy the first. They were blue metal folding chairs. I'll never forget it. 25 of them. And we filled that garage and grew to 25. And I thought, man, we got it. God, you got to do something. The church is growing. We got 25 people. God just kept blessing and kept moving us, and I'll talk more about that another time. But God placed the vision in my heart, and to this day, it's not mine. If it had been mine, I wouldn't have made it 30 years. I wouldn't have been able to continue to be standing here. I know it was God, and I determined to give myself to it no matter what. I said, Lord, I'm in it for the long haul. I am so thankful over 30 years of pastoring here, I have never had one other church try to come and get me. Many pastors do. Most of the time, pastors make a change of pastorate because something bigger Some bigger church came knocking on their door. And I have been so thankful over the years. It doesn't, I'm not not offended that no other church has come knocking on my door. I'm thankful no other church has ever come knocking on my door because I don't trust myself. And if it had happened when I was in a pit, I don't know. So God, thank you for sparing me. That nobody wanted me to come and be their pastor. That's because you want me to stay here. And I intend to be here until Jesus comes. Until he speaks again and says you're done. And I thank God for his blessing and his faithfulness. Over all these almost 30 years. Hallelujah. I'm going to talk more about our mission and where it came from. It came from the vision, the dream God gave Nehemiah. Who when God called him he wasn't even a prophet. When God called Nehemiah to lead a remnant back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are blameless toward him. Folks, God is looking for one thing and, and one response from every single one of us. And his, the response God always looks for is availability. Are you available? Can I use you? Can I trust you with my dream? Will you be made available? When Nehemiah heard the report that the walls of the city of Jerusalem had been burned with fire, and the children of, of Israel had been scattered, they were been, had been invaded once again by a foreign kingdom, he immediately went into prayer and fasting and mourning and began to seek the heart of God and repent before the Lord and own the sins of the people. He didn't say, okay, God, uh, now uh, you're going to lead me back to the well, Jerusalem and you're going to give me lumber and you're going to give me timbers and you're going to give me and you're going to provide for me and do all these things for me. He simply fasted, prayed and mourned and said, God, I'm available. What do you want to do? I'm available to be used of you. And God is still asking that same question. Are you available? After 30 years, I hear the Lord asking me, Calvin, are you still available to me after all these many years? There was another prophet in the Bible who was already a prophet. 
His name was Isaiah. Isaiah, God gave him a vision of heaven in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that there was a transition of power. And biblical history tells us that Isaiah uh, and, and the prophet Isaiah and King Uzziah had a close friendship kind of relationship. So he was grieving and mourning the death of the king. And he got a vision, a revelation of Jesus. Really, it was Jesus high and lifted up and his train filling the temple, his glory filling the temple. And Isaiah, in chapter 6, verse 5, responds like this, Woe to me, or woe is me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The one, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. When it touched my mouth, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And I tell you, even after 30 years, I hear the Lord asking that again. Here am I, or who will go for us? Who can I send? I believe God is asking the question for those of us who love Him, for those of us who worship Him, as Isaiah did, for those of us who are praying and fasting. I believe God is still asking this of me too, even after 30 plus years. Are you still available? Can I still send you? Do you still want to go for me? Will you go? Will you speak for me? Will you build for me? Will you stand for me? And like Isaiah, who was already a prophet at the time of this encounter with God, I am humbled to be able to say before you and before God, yes, Lord, here I am. You can still send me. I will still go for you. Hallelujah. Church, while the world is saying, be quiet, God is telling us to speak up. The world is telling us to stay put. God is telling us to break out, <laughs> to get going. The world is telling us to turn it down and God is saying, turn it up. The world is telling us to lock ourselves in and God is still telling us to swing wide the gates that the King of glory may come in. The world is telling us, and that voice, by the way, is none other than the voice of the lawless one who is Satan himself. He is the one saying, hold your peace. While God is telling us to shout His name from the rooftops. I've come to realize that there really are only two voices. There really aren't many voices all around us. There are only two voices. The voice of the evil one and the voice of the holy one. The wisdom of the age and the wisdom that is from above are the only two sources of all of the voices. Church, I can tell you this. This cancel culture craze is not going to end well for America if it is not stopped. If political correctness continues marching across this land unchecked, it is not going to just remain political correctness. We're already seeing it. It's going to lead to educational correctness. They're coming after you, homeschoolers, telling you they're coming after you. It'll lead to speech correctness. It's already happening. It'll lead to economic correctness. 
of already shutting down industries with the stroke of a pen. It'll lead to dietary correctness. You can't eat this anymore and you can't drink that anymore. And ultimately it will become religious correctness. You can't believe that way. You can't worship that way anymore. If it is not checked and stopped supernaturally by the hand of God. Who would have believed just a few short years ago that marriage would be anything but the union of a man and a woman? Who would have ever believed it would be something other than the lifelong union of a man with a woman? And don't think it's not going to be redefined yet again. Who would have ever believed just a few months ago that the government in America would order churches to be closed? And in some states, they're still closed. It happened. Who would have ever believed that in America there would rise a movement to outlaw the police? To make police illegal? And yet, here we are. One latest story I saw of one riot somewhere out on the West Coast, graffitiing and spray painting and declaring, we will not be governed. We are ungovernable. The spirit of lawlessness that this tells us would come. If America continues... Rejecting the wisdom of God for the wisdom of this age, it will separate us from God and lead to catastrophic decline in this nation. The Apostle Paul speaks of it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom about the, among the mature. Look what he says now. But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. Man, make no mistake. The wisdom of this age, along with the rulers of this age, are going to come to nothing. Paul says, no, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Whoa, that is pretty strong. Folks, we're in this, we're, it's, it's, it's the same thing all over again. The wisdom of this age, which is going to come to nothing. In other words, who knows, maybe the devil overplayed his hand yet again as he overplayed his hand when he had Jesus crucified. Mark my words, no, mark God's words. The wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age are going to come to nothing. I see a revelation. I see a, I see a prophetic word to the American uh, system, to the American government, if you will, from one verse in Paul's letter to Galatia. The Galatians, book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 15. Everything in this book speaks to every aspect of life. It speaks to every aspect of life. <clears throat> this is the amplified version, and I didn't edit this, I didn't change this, I didn't 
It's from the Amplified Translation of Scripture. Galatians 5.15 says this, But if you bite and devour one another in partisan strife, be careful that you and your whole fellowship are not consumed by one another. I see such a national implication in that verse. If you bite and devour one another in partisan strife, be careful that you and your whole whatever, your whole system, your whole party, your whole government are not consumed by one another. You know, there's, there's something about strife. The scripture says where there is strife, there is every other evil. Whew. That's why the word is strong and how it warns us against being offended or getting offended or, or petting a little offense or, or, becoming, or, or not forgiving or becoming bitter because somebody didn't do this or did that and didn't treat you or didn't speak to you so, and you become offended and strife comes in because where there is strife there is every other evil. Folks, the eyes of the Lord are roaming around across America, across the face of His church. I believe even across Acts 2 Worship Center. And He's looking for, even in this hour, those with a blameless heart. Those who will stay, say, here am I, Lord, use me. And it is those that He is going to show Himself strong to. Hallelujah. And I hear the Lord saying, who is left who is on the Lord's side, who is on my side? <clears throat> that question was asked <clears throat> to the, pe the Jewish people as they had just been emancipated from Egyptian slavery and brought to the foot of the mountain being prepared to cross over. As Moses is on the mountain in the presence of God getting the instructions for the people of God, they're down at the foot of the mountain in rebellion, naked and dancing before a golden calf. <clears throat> And Moses comes down and he declares, who is on the Lord's side? Before we can go any further, before I know what direction we're going to take, before God decides what he's going to do with us, he wants to know who is still on the Lord's side. And folks, I believe how we answer that, even each one of us individually, could very well become a matter of life or death in the very near future. You see, on one side is murder on demand called abortion. On the other side is the sanctity of human life. God is only on one of those sides. Hello? God's only on one of those sides. On one side is a man in union with another man, or a woman in union with another woman, and on the other side is holy matrimony. God is only on one side. On one side is support for Israel and the Jewish people. On the other side is anti-Semitism in all of its ugly forms. God is only on one side. On one side is gender-neutral ideology. On the other side is male and female created he them in the likeness and image. And only God is on, only on one of those sides. On one side is sectarianism and racism. On the other side is one human race made in the image of God. God is only on one side. 
On one side is get even with those that hurt you. On the other side is turn the other cheek. God is only on one side. On one side is just enough. Get just enough to get by. Get just enough to survive. On the other side is good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God is only on one side. Choose you this day whose side you're on. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house and this church, we will still serve the Lord. We will stand on God's side. Hallelujah. And I can stand here and tell you after almost 35 years of pastoral ministry, I can stand to tell you there have been times I've been hedged in and troubled on every side, but never crushed. I've been betrayed, misunderstood, and rejected more times than I'd like to admit, but never bitter. I've suffered embarrassments, been unable to find a way out, but never driven to despair. I've been persecuted, but never deserted. I've been bound by the chains of depression, crying myself to sleep. I've wept with those who weep. I've mourned with those who mourn. I've buried them way before their time. I've been abandoned, but never alone. I've gotten it really right, but I've gotten it really wrong. I've been struck down, but never struck out. I've been on the highest mountaintop, and I've been in the lowest valleys. I've even been stranded at sea a few times, but we always reach the shore. And I say along with the Apostle Paul, what of that? I'll borrow his words. I consider that the sufferings of the past 35 years are not worthy to even be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed in me. And I came to tell you today, if I'm still standing, so can you. Hallelujah, so can you. On November the 16th, 1997, I'm going to share with you one of the ancient altars in the history of this church. I've preached that many times, that when God would supernaturally intervene for his people, he would stop them on the spot and say, build an altar here. Because why? The generations to come are going to have to visit this altar and remember that the God who delivered you then is going to deliver you now. Hallelujah. And I visit those altars frequently, often. They keep me going. They stir my faith and keep my vision and stir the dream of God within me. November 1997, Acts 2 Worship Center was just six years old. The church gave us, as a gift to my wife and I, a personal trip to New York City. I had never been. Had you ever been? My wife had been when she was younger. I'd never been. Always wanted to visit New York. Not anymore. But then, <clears throat> it was beautiful. We visited a church in Brooklyn. <clears throat> you wouldn't know it if I... It's not the Brooklyn Tabernacle, which we all also got to visit. And we got to... Oh, that's a whole other story. We wanted to hear the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Ooh, they can take you into the presence of God. 
So we, the, this, the, the, we had an elder in the church from Brooklyn, had friends in that church, was trying to set it up. Even back then, you had to have a ticket, you had to have a reservation to get in the Brooklyn Tabernacle to attend a service. It was that packed all the time. So this friend got us in to the service that Sunday evening. That Sunday morning, we visited Times Square Church. We visited this other church I'm going to tell you about. David Wilkerson was still alive. Woo, I'll never be the same. I got to visit Times Square Church, pastored by the great David Wilkerson. Then that night, we were going to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. We got there, and the people were lined up around the block. But they got us right in, sat us down. And as they were sitting us at some point in that, as they're bringing us up, oh, by the way, we just wanted to let you know, pastor is out of town uh, in, for this service, and the choir has the whole service. I was shouting even more, hallelujah. The whole, that, that was, I'll never forget that as long as I live. We attended this service, didn't know anybody. Had never met the pastor. It was the former church of one of our elders, who was an elder at that time. And so we wanted, they, the elder said, you've got to visit my home church. You're going to love it. Spirit-filled. It's multicultural, this and that and this and that. So we went. We got in, sat down. They happened to have a guest speaker that day. They had a guest speaker. They had their bishop. This church was a part of a, a group, of, a fellowship, an association, as a lot of churches are, uh, not unlike the Assemblies of God that we're a part of, but another fellowship. And their bishop was there, like the, the head of their, their movement, to preach that day. And he began to preach. I don't remember much else about the service, honestly, and, uh, after this happened. He's just preaching. He's in the middle of his ser sermon. <clears throat> he steps over to this side. My wife and I are seated as if this were the seating sections. We were seated like right there, about the second or third row. He stepped over to, towards us, pointed right in my face, and locked, I locked eyes with him. And he began to prophesy to me this. Brother, I don't know anything about you in Florida, but don't let those giants anymore intimidate you. But take a stand. And every lion and every bear that comes up against you shall fall at the feet of the cross. And this is the season for expansion. God wants that ministry to expand. Don't worry about what's going on in Florida, but do what God wants you to do. You've been on hold, but God is taking you off hold and putting you on the move. And He's going to give you everything you need. Don't limit yourself. Don't limit yourself. Don't limit yourself. For the Lord thy God says unto thee, watch me move. Hallelujah. And then he went right back to preaching again. Of course, I'm falling apart at that point. I'm like, woo, glory. And see, now I have perspective on that. <laughs> I have perspective of 25 years on that prophecy. And we've watched God kill the lions and kill the bears. We've watched God expand the ministry and grow our reach around the world. And yet now in the COVID, we all feel like as pastors we're on hold. COVID has put us all on hold. This word is coming up to us again. God is about to take us off hold and put us on the move and give us everything we need and we will not be limited we will not limit our God for he says unto us watch me move hallelujah watch me move the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former watch me move says the Lord hallelujah hallelujah I still believe God is showing himself strong to me, to you, and to this great church. 
a ministry that's never been mine, never will be mine. I've always strived to make that clear. This belongs to the Lord, and I've always purposed to give Him the glory. And I can tell you, I believe, I've seen it. I've seen God's way and how He tends to save the best for last. To save the best for last. Abraham became the father of many nations in the latter years of his life. Moses became a deliverer in the latter years of his life. The Bible says that even as he approached the end of his life of Moses, his eyes were not dim. His vision remained clear. The Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament in the latter years of his life. By the time the twelve spies of Israel were sent by Moses to check out the promised land, there were giants that had inherited the holy city of Hebron. This holy place was being ruled by giants. It was a place of terror. It so terrified ten of the twelve spies. In fact, they brought back an evil report of fear and unbelief. There's no way we can take our promised land, they stated. The giants are simply too big and powerful. Caleb, one of the twelve spies, was indignant, seeing that these giants had defiled the holy city and desecrated the final resting place of Abraham. Caleb was angry. His response was to ask Moses for the very mountaintop city as his inheritance, which was once Hebron. But because the Israelites fear and unbelief, Caleb had to wait for this opportunity. God was pleased with his heart. God was pleased with his faith. But 40 plus years went by. Caleb stood. Caleb was not discouraged. The dream in his spirit of possessing the promised land kept him moving forward, kept him strong. After 40 years of the unbelieving generation dying, it was time. Caleb was then 85 years old. And he was still saying, and he said to Joshua, Now give me my mountain. For those that may feel like you're in your latter years, don't stop dreaming now. You can still take that mountain. Get ready for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Your latter years shall be greater than your former years. In the last days, in the last days, in the latter days, says the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And I believe in the last days, before the return of Christ, there will come another manifestation of the book of Acts outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon all flesh because there have been many since the day of Pentecost. And every generation, I believe, will experience this final manifestation of the Spirit. I believe this final manifestation of the Spirit is going to include something called the glory of the Lord. <laughs> and I believe when this outpouring happens, God is going to outdo, overdo, and undo everything the devil has ever done hallelujah 
I still hear God saying at the beginning of 2021, who will go for me? Who is on my side? Who can I send? I hear God saying, I am still the I am that I am. We are not serving the God of I was, nor the God of I can, nor the God of I will, nor the God of I did, nor the God of I used to. We're not serving the God of I just might either. We're serving the God who is still the I am that I am hallelujah he is your I am church I hear the Lord saying to somebody else who I was I am what I did I am who I used to be I am what I have done I am what I have said I am what I can do I am God I am that I am who I will be I am right now get ready make yourself available humble yourself before the Lord with fasting and prayer and you will be one that he shows himself strong to in your latter days. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who is on the Lord's side? Well, the dream has kept me alive. I've not kept it alive. If I had to keep the dream of what this is alive, it would have died a long time ago. The dream has kept me alive. Don't stop dreaming now. God has a way in the latter days. For some of us, that has a literal meaning, a generational meaning. For some of us, it's the latter days before Jesus comes back. It's the final hour. Every generation, child, student, young adult, divorced, widowed, widower, retired, working, unemployed, single, married, everybody who presents themselves and says, Lord, here I am. I'm available. That's all he asks. Be made available. And he's ready to show himself strong to each and every one of us. Would you stand all over the building? Father, thank you. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for your faithfulness generation to generation. Thank you, Lord, that you, you saved the best to last. Oh, yes. You, you, you said my church is going out. When they go off the scene, when they are caught up, they're going to be caught up as a glorious church. Glory-filled church uh, without spot, blemish, virus, sickness, lack, disease, poverty, sin of any kind. A glorious church. Hallelujah. And Lord, you are getting us ready now. You are getting us ready now. And Lord, I hear you saying, who's on my side still? Who's on my side? Not who's on this political side. Not, not who voted for that. Who's on the Lord's side, America? Who's on the Lord's side? There's a line being drawn in the sand. Who is on the Lord's side today? Who's on the Lord's side? Because God knows them that are His. I said He knows them that are His. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Father. Lord, you didn't, you didn't choose the most beautiful, the most educated, the most uh, wealthy, Lord, the most uh, uh, experienced. Uh, the mo Lord, you said, Are you, uh, will you just be available? Can, will you be available to me? That's all Nehemiah was doing when he fasted and mourned and prayed. He was, his heart was being made ready to be available to you. Isaiah was made available for what you needed to do next. Lord, may we be made available again. May we still say, I am still here, Lord. I, I will still go for you. 
I'm on your side, Father. I'm on your side. You know, you may be in this room. You may be online. I don't ever want to just discount our desire to reach out to you personally and minister to you further through prayer, through counsel, through whatever we can do. If you're online or even in the room, you do it if you're in the room too and we're going to reach out to you. I'm going to reach out to you in a more personal way. Text the word life. I just need God to do something in my heart. I'm saying for the first time, here am I, Lord, I'll be made available to you. It's the first time for me. Or you just need prayer. You need somebody to pray with you and minister to you further. Text the word LIFE. If you're in the room, you see it on the screen. If you're at home, you see it on the screen. Text the word LIFE to that number, 561-232-3992. And it's going to come to my personal cell phone, and I'm going to be able to reach out to you. Would you do that in the room or online, wherever you're worshiping, however you're connected, and we're going to reach out and minister to you further. So, Father, thank you for your promises, yes and amen. You are still on the throne. You are still calling us. You're still giving your people dreams. You're still advancing your kingdom. Make the, let the will of God be done in my life, in my church, in my state, in my nation, even as it is in heaven. And thank you for the victory, because the victory is ours in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You can be dismissed.